a mathematician put key indicators together and found that those living in the Northern Hemisphere, that this past week was the most depressing time or week of the year. How many of you heard that? Have you heard of Blue Monday? Well, they associated that with Monday, but many of them would say the whole week and what it represents. So it's kind of interesting. Many would ask, why this week? Why Monday? Well, think of this. Credit card statements have just come out from Christmas. Many of you went intending to buy gifts for other people, and what did you do? You bought yourself something, didn't you? Okay. Anyway, so that got amplified. And then, of course, the weather. Many of us are not able to get out and get in the sun. Plus, we've had a lot of rain lately. And then guess what the third thing is? Many of us have already broken our New Year's resolution. And so the promises that we made to ourselves at the first of the year have already been broken. And you put all these things together and you have what is described as a very depressing time of the year. Think of this, of the 45% of Americans who make resolutions, only 8% will keep them for any significant time. That's less than one in 10 of us. Now think about that. So today, I, w- I think it's fitting that our subject be discouragement. How many of you are discouraged already from the video and what I just shared? How many, I just got you so far down in the dumps. Uh, but, but let me just, ha- just tell you this. Last night, uh, I was laying there, and, and of course, I was kind of letting some things from the sermon kind of float through my mind. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes on Saturday night before I, I get up here and, and teach and preach, uh, I, I, I'm kind of discouraged because I, I, I just can't quite get my mind around some things. But last night, I got excited. I said, I think I'm going to be able to give people something tomorrow out of God's word that's really going to help them. And so I'm encouraged, okay? So it's going to get better. It can only go up. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Some of you are sitting here and you, you probably are thinking, well, we turned there two weeks ago. Well, we're going back, okay? Uh, let me tell you about Nehemiah chapter 4 in parts of chapter 6. Those, that, this book, if you were to say, what is, where is the best book to learn about good leadership, it would be the book of Nehemiah. If someone were to ask you, uh, how, what's the best way to overcome fear? The book of Nehemiah. If someone were to say, well, how do I deal with my discouragement? The book of Nehemiah. It's amazing all the things that are in this book. And yet many people overlook it. And so if you were to say, well, when you preach on, on fear and discouragement or leadership, where's the first place you look? I look to Nehemiah. And that's where we are this morning. Now, most of all, of, most all of us have dealt with discouragement at some time in our life. I myself have battled discouragement. I don't know about you, but for some of us, we've gone past discouragement to times in our life where we have felt despair. I've been there myself. I think I've talked to many of you who who would say, yeah, I've spent some time there myself. And and many of us would agree that that this is a very lonely time. This is a time where we begin to think differently, probably in ways we shouldn't think. Uh, We begin to think about ourselves and we see see ourselves through the lens of of failure and we begin to, to struggle with these many things. Well, this morning, I want us to look at what God's word has to say about this whole idea. The key verse for our series is Romans 8, 37. And it says this, we are more than conquerors through him, that being God who loved us. It doesn't matter what subject we bring up during this series. And by the way, we're looking at eight 
eight things that people deal with probably on a, on a very uh, many times during their life. And, and so today is the idea of discouragement. But listen, anything that this world throws at us, anything the enemy throws at us, anything that we've done ourselves, God can give us the victory over those things. And that's the one thing I think many of us miss. So look at the introduction. While the word discouragement is only found in scripture a few times, there are other words and phrases used to describe it. There's the word weary. I think many of us would say, yeah, weary. I, I, I'm pretty discouraged when I hit that point. Faint-hearted and loss of hope. The whole idea of just losing hope. Well, the context of what we're studying this morning is, is really the same we studied two weeks ago, and that is 70 years earlier than what we're going to be reading here in this text this morning, the Babylonians moved into Jerusalem, they destroyed the city, they destroyed the walls, they destroyed the temple, and were holding the Jews, Jews captive. At the end of the 70-year 70 cap, 70 captivity, Cyrus the Persian gave permission for the first Jewish exiles to return to their land. They went with the intention of rebuilding the temple. That was one wave that went. A second wave was being mobilized to go there to help build the walls around the old city. And so everything was, again, was focusing on motivating people to rebuild the identity of God's people and God was beginning to raise up people to do that. Ezra went with the intention to motivate people to build the temple. Nehemiah is going to show up a second, with a second wave of people to go there to rebuild the walls. And many of you know that from our study a couple weeks ago. Once they got there, once they got there to do the work, they began to start the work. And they found out that not everyone appreciated their attempts. Okay? How many of you ever... Uh, have done something and you really were excited about it and other people weren't as excited as you were. Matter of fact, some people just cast stones at what you were trying to do and, and, and you really thought, well, this is, this is a good thing and you couldn't figure out why people wouldn't get on board. Well, it seems like every one of us deal with something like that in our life. In Nehemiah chapter four, look at verse six. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. The first part, I mean, people were ready. They were passionate. Now it happened when Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored. The gaps were beginning to be closed. They became very angry. And all of them, all of them from all sides conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. They did not like what was about to happen. So I want you to think about this. Obstacles arose, passion began to disappear, and discouragement was moving in. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Now, let's think about this. What causes us to move in the direction of discouragement? What causes it? Many of you may be sitting there today and you'd say, you know something, I'm discouraged right now. Actually, this is coming at a good time. I would like to know what got me to this place. Because right now, I just feel down. I don't understand. I, I, it's just something. I, I, some of us would describe it as a funk. We're in a funk. I don't know where that word came from, but I've heard people use it. And, and we just feel down. So look on your outline. The condition of discouragement or the conditions, number one, fatigue. Fatigue. Most of the time, fatigue is at the heart of discouragement. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10 
Then Judah, Judah must have been a foreman. He said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Their strength, the inward parts that's making them to be motivated and excited and passionate about this work. It was there at the beginning, but, but it's starting to wane now. Something's happening with the workers. You see, they worked night and day and became fatigued. And I want you to think of this. We are more vulnerable to discouragement when we're tired. How many of you have ever noticed that? I want you to think about this. The enemy uses the, weak, the weaknesses of our bodies to attempt to gain access and influence in our lives. How many of you are living proof of that? He does. You say, well, how do you know that for sure? Think about Jesus. Do you remember when he was on the Mount of Temptations? Do you remember when he was out there and the enemy came to him? He threw everything he had at Jesus. Now, I want you to think about what the condition Jesus was in when the enemy showed up. He had not eaten or drunk anything for 40 days and 40 nights. He was there. He, he, was, he, he was physically probably exhausted. And the Bible says that the enemy came to him at that time. Now, now how do we know that the enemy is strategic when it comes as he uh, bring, begins to have, try to have influence in our lives? Here's how we know it. Because at the end of that time, with his time with Jesus, when Jesus just kept basically putting him down with the word of God, he just started bringing the word of God back up to the enemy. Enemy says, okay, I'm not going to win today. You know what it says in Luke? It says, and the enemy left for a more opportune time. I want you to think about that. It didn't say he left disgusted. It didn't say he left in defeat necessarily, even though he was in defeat. He said, I'll try another time. The enemy looks at us the same way. He looks at those times in our lives when we're down, when we're discouraged, when, when despair sets in. And many times he's the author of it. Many times he's the one that's putting things in place in our lives to create the discouragement and the despair. I have no doubt that the enemy didn't like the walls going up in Jerusalem. I have no doubt that, that the enemy did not want God's people to have an identification in the world. And so therefore, he was doing everything in his attempt to keep that from happening through the enemies of Israel. Same thing goes on in our own lives. We who identify with Christ, we who are his children... Those of us who have accepted the terms in which Christ went to the cross for, and we're now his children. Listen, we are a target. We are. And the enemy wants us to have no victory. And he knows if he can breed and put seeds of discouragement into our lives, he knows he can do great damage. So I feel we need to be at least aware of what are those times like when discouragement comes. And it comes when we are fatigued. Like another condition of discouragement, it's not only fatigue, but frustration. You ever been frustrated? You ever come up on somebody who was frustrated? <laughs> Said something that was pretty, uh, pre pretty innocent, at least you thought it was, and they come back at you, it's like, oh, don't think we'll talk today, you know? <laughs> um, most of the time when we are overwhelmed, we get frustrated, which continues us down the path to discouragement. Look at Nehemiah chapter four, verse 10 again. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And look at what he says. And there is so much rubbish. There are obstacles everywhere they turn. It was frustrating to them. The ruins of the old wall and the city were still there. In order to reconstruct the walls, they not only had to build, but they also had to clear the site. 
And they had to deal with much of the rubbish there. The rubbish was a source of great discouragement to them. Let me just say this. I think so many times we're not even aware of what's going on in our lives. You say, how do you know that? Because I've lived a lot of my life that way. And, and that's the reason I find God's word so encouraging is because so many times when I go to his word, I find out more and more stuff about me, about human nature, about the whole idea of operating in the flesh and how I should be operating in the spirit. And it's very clear how one acts out and how the other one acts out. And I begin to see resemblances of who I am and where I am in life. And, and listen, the Bible gives us that if we'll just get in there. And I've learned over the years the very things I'm teaching you right now, that I'm most prone to discouragement when I'm tired. And that many times leads to frustration. And the main thing that I'm frustrated by is because there's so many things that appear to be in the way. You, you know what I'm talking about? The rubbish, the rubbish. We love to see things move forward. We like to see progress. But let's face it, it's hard to find progress in this world, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to find. They were trying to do God's work and every time they turned around, they were dealing with rubbish, dealing with rubbish. Listen, I have found is part of the human condition. We're always dealing with mess. We're always dealing with those things that are out there. I want you to think about your own life. What, what right now would you identify in your life as rubbish or clutter? You, you see, I don't think we realize what it's doing to us. Someone... Uh, <laughs> got in my car not too long ago. And um, they, they got in the car and, and they, saw, they looked around and they was like, wow, this is the cleanest car. I, I can't stand a cluttered car. Every time I get out of the car, I'm, I'm, I'm a tissue, paper, what I've just eaten. I, I'll take it in my hand and I'll either go to the trash can or if I'm at a store, I'll find a trash can. Sometimes I'll go and there's not a trash can outside, so I'll walk in. Can I put this in your trash? I mean, I'm bad about it. I really am. Because I hate clutter. You, you come to my house and, and <laughs> Tina and I, we kind of get into it occasionally, but I hate clutter. I start chunking things at some point. I do. I don't, I don't like clutter. I, I, if we're not going to use it, let's get rid of it. I hate it sitting there. It, it's just something that reminds me that it's clutter. You know what I'm talking about? Now, we could talk about things all day. But think about the things in your life that you have in play in your life. Do they really need to be there? Listen, is, is the clutter taking you away from the main thing in your life? The main thing you need to be accomplishing for the kingdom of God? The main thing you need to be accomplishing as a parent, the main thing you should be doing with your spouse, is there just so much clutter that you've built into your life that you don't even see the big picture anymore. You're just surviving. And, and you get up each morning and you work your way through the clutter. You work your way through the rubbish to finally get to something. That, and then you go to bed at night and realize, boy, I am awfully tired. Could it be because of all the rubbish you put out there? All the things that are in your life that really don't matter. I think many times if we did an honest evaluation, we would see that those things are clearly there. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, chapters 11 and 12, are two of my favorite chapters in the Bible. 
especially Hebrews 12. I quote it all the time. You're, you're probably sick of seeing it, but there's so much life application in the first several verses of Hebrews 12. Look at what it says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, of course, when he's talking about this, he's talking about those mentioned in chapter 11, where you have the hall of faith. It said, by faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham, you know what I'm talking about? And then he comes to chapter 12 and he says, okay, these are people that went before us. These are people that did it right. They acted in faith. And then he says, let me tell you a little bit about what will help you to get there. He says, let us lay aside every weight, every weight. You know what I would describe weight as in a context like this sermon? The clutter, the rubbish. It could be good things, but it's still a weight. It's still something you're dragging around. And it may, be not, it may really have no meaning in your life, at least as eternity goes. And all these things we begin, and by the way, we live in a nation, we live in a culture that offers everything, don't we? And we think to, to have everything in life is success and we grab some of this and we grab some of this and we put our kid in that and we put our kids in this and we think, oh yeah, this is, this is fulfillment. This is what it looks like. Only to go to bed at night exhausted. <laughs> fatigued, and if you keep it up too long, you will come to a period of discouragement. And not only that, even the people that you're leading can come to that place also. He says, let us lay aside every weight, the rubbish, the clutter, and the sin. Look at what he says about the sin. It so easily ensnares us. It's like it's laying there, and all we do is just kind of walk, and we're caught. He almost says that sin has a deceptive feel about it. And I'm convinced a lot of people who are discouraged not only have the clutter of life and the rubbish of life, they also are caught in sin. And, and, and let me tell you something. A Christian who's out of the will of God, to me, is the most miserable person on the planet. I want you to think about that. We've given our life to Christ. We said we have repented of our sins. We turned to him. We want our life to be built on him. Therefore, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The Holy Spirit begins. You know what the Holy Spirit does? Jesus even told us what, it was, what he was going to do. He's going to teach us. He's going to convict us. He's going to judge us. And when I say judge us, he's going to let us know what's right and what's wrong. And, and listen, if we're moving in a path that is wrong, we're, we're going to deal with discouragement. We will. It, it's automatic. It comes with it. Because he will never let us be satisfied with what the world has. It's what, what Christ desires in our life now. We've turned our life over to him. And as a result, he's the one that should be calling the shots. And when things aren't going according to God's will, we're going to know it. We're going to sense it. We're going to feel it. Listen, some of the greatest evidence that I know I'm a child of God is when I begin to step outside the will of God. You'd be amazed at what goes on internally within me. And it should be going on within you too if you're a child of God. It's that whole, con you feel like you're living, here's how I feel. I feel like I'm living a contradiction of myself. I feel like I'm, I'm not really who, who I am. <laughs> I'm living outside of who I am, and, and that's really what it's all about. Listen, that, that's where the greatest discouragement comes into my life. And, and in Hebrews chapter 12, he's, again, what is he saying? He say, you look at those people in chapter 11. They live by faith. They did it right in these times of their life. Here's an example for you. Let me tell you how they did it. Well, first of all, they got rid of the clutter in their life. They got rid of the things that really don't matter. Second thing they did, they, they weren't deceived by sin and what they thought sin could help them with. 
And then it goes on and says, and let us run. We're going down the road the other day, and Tina, we noticed there was a runner on the side of the road. And it almost looked effortless. You ever seen a runner? Don't those people make you sick? They have absolutely no body fat whatsoever on them. And they're just running like carefree. I mean, it's like you, you kind of want the car to get out of control. You, you, you know what I mean? Just destroy them, you know. <laughs> but, but Tina said, I wish I could run like that. Of course, I was keeping up. Baby, I, I can run like that. <laughs> no, no, I really. I used to be able to run like that. But anyway, that's the reason I wear sweaters now. But anyway. Uh, it, it is interesting that, that so many times, I mean, when you look at those runners and it's effortless and they're just going, I mean, you, I mean, sometimes you're watching football and all of a sudden that guy breaks through that line and he just, he leaves everybody. It's like, wow, look at that guy run. You see, I'm convinced the Christian life is that picture. Where, where if, 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 it's not that tough things don't come into our lives. Yeah, there's, there's things that are coming after us to tackle us. There's people that don't like us that want to hit, hit us with the car, okay? <laughs> but, but let me tell you something. I think that run, that effortless run, is what it's like to not be deceived by sin and to get rid of the clutter in our life. And as a result, we begin to see things happen that begin to make sense. And we, 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 we sense the joy of the Lord at that point. We sense the peace of God at that point. We begin to see things. And it's not because everything's going our way. Listen, I have met people who should be the most discouraged people to walk the planet with what they're dealing with. And yet they have a joy about them and a peace about them. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, how does that happen? Because they're not deceived by sin. And it's because they got rid of all the clutter. Did you know that I've seen people go through some of the most excruciating circumstances that I can't imagine going through? And it's almost like all of a sudden, they begin to see the clutter in their life. They begin to see the rubbish and all that just kind of falls off. And sometimes God uses the most trying of circumstances to bring that about. I have personally witnessed that. And I'm here to tell you, it's a beautiful sight. And then he says this, let's run that race. What does it set before us? It means there is an intended path God has for all of us. There's something out there he has for all of us. He set the path. He says, this is it. This is the best way. And how do we run? Looking into Jesus, the author, which means he started the process, the finisher of our faith. Where the joy that was set before him, he, when he ran this race, he endured the cross. You say, well, wait a second. Don't leave here thinking that you, you will, uh, is provided everything's going your way, you won't be discouraged. Jesus was not, listen, he went to the cross. That was a very discouraging place. And there were times that he was down. We know that from the Garden of Gethsemane. But the thing we need to realize is he came through it. And then it says, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean for Jesus to sit down? What does it mean when, when deity sits down in scripture? It means it's complete. It's done. What was intended has been done. He's the one who's actually gone before us. He's the one that we should be following. Next, the condition of discouragement, not only fatigue and frustration, but also failure. 
It appears that they interpreted their fatigue and frustration as failure. Look at verse 10 again. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there's so much rubbish that, that, that we are not able to build the wall. We can't do this. How many of you have ever been so discouraged that you said the same thing? I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. You almost get to the point of panic. You ever been there? And I've seen many young mothers get there. And it's not like they're going to go hand off their kid to anybody. <laughs> but, but you got to realize, where are you at? What's really going on? What's happening? You see, what we know about verse 10 is they were halfway through the project. They had made progress. They had demonstrated that they could build a wall. But now, because of fatigue and frustration and failure, they were contemplating quitting. How about your New Year's resolution? Did anybody make one in the room? Did you make one? Some of you are like, this is going to be different this year. Some of you, bless your heart, you gave up decades ago with that whole idea of a resolution. <laughs> it's like, I'm not even trying anymore. I don't ever. Change is hard, isn't it? And when we begin to change things, listen, it gets very difficult. Fatigue can set in, frustration, failure. Change is difficult. But that change has to become a way of life. Thoughts concerning discouragement. Look on your line, <laughs> outline. Discouragement from failure makes one not only fail, but also makes one feel like a failure. And, and if you have room to write this, it affects your identity. It affects your identity. When you begin to identify as a failure, you've totally lost perspective. Because what does the Bible say about his children? More than conquerors. There's no idea of failure there. More than conquerors. When, we, when, we are discouraged, when discouragement hits your life, you begin to think that every area of your life, you're a failure. Here's another one. Dis, discouragement from failure causes one to, to neglect their responsibilities. We get to the point where if something reminds us of failure, we won't even go near it anymore. That's the reason I think a lot of people check out on marriage. I really do. They just see it as a failure. They've identified it as a failure. And, and, and we need to be careful with that. It affects your motivation. Thirdly, discouragement from failure makes one negative and cynical. It affects your attitude. You know, when, uh, there's a book, and I told the Wednesday night class about it, that I've been reading and, and the book really hit home to me. And, and I've shared this because this book has identified several areas in my life. It's like I knew, how many of you have noticed that there's things in your life and you can't really identify how they got there? You, you know what I'm talking about? Or you're just sitting there like, how, where did that even come from? How many of you have ever, ever had a response to something and it surprised you where it came from? You know what I mean? Why did I react that way? Now don't look at me like I'm stupid. I've seen most of y'all do what I'm talking about. So, 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 so it's the whole idea. So becoming negative, listen to this. This will help you. Listen to this. Becoming negative and cynical is born out of our life experiences. That's the reason. <laughs> Have you ever seen any four-year-olds that are negative and cynical? I mean, we, we've seen some grandchildren. We've seen our children go through now, you got four-year-olds that tell you what to do. They'll tell you what they think is best, at least for themselves. You'll see four-year-olds out there being cynical. Oh, that'll never work. What do you, oh, my goodness. You don't see four-year-olds doing that. 
Who do you see doing that? Us, as we get older. I am fighting the tide for my life to keep from being negative and cynical. And you know where it's coming from? My life experiences. That's where, it's, that's where it happens. And I've got to be careful and I've got to get the mind of Christ and I've got to start relying on his truth and I've got to start relying on his promises because left to my own, left to what the world is telling me, I'm pretty discouraged right now. How many of you can identify with what I'm talking about? Life experiences from hurt. We've been hurt here. We've been hurt here. So listen, if the stove's hot and you touch it, do you go back and keep touching it? No. So what happens is once we experience hurt, we never go back there. We become cynical about that. We become negative. We begin to start piling in things. How about from our failure? We fail at something. And so what do we do? We don't want to go back there. We become negative. We become cynical about it. Again, life experience. And then all of a sudden, uh, our regrets, we begin to regret some things we did in the past and they're sitting back there. And so we don't even want to go back and address them. We, we just hope they'll just go away. But in the midst, you know what we're creating? A negative spirit, something very cynical. How about from our vulnerabilities? We begin to see that we're not strong in areas we thought we were strong in. And all of a sudden, those things become identifiable. And all of a sudden, I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. But yet the Bible says what? You're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. I mean, there's all these messages. Here, here's another one. We become less naive. How many of you realize that life experiences make you less naive? Now, no, no, granted, I've met teenagers who have been through so much in their life, it would blow your mind what they've been through, and they're not naive anymore. They've crossed over into cynical, negative, I mean, because everywhere they turn, something's left, let them down. The very people that should be building them up have let them down in such a way that they don't, they're not even sure they can recover from it. I've, I've met them. I've actually talked to them. And some of them act out in ways that they don't think they can recover from it. And, and what's interesting about this is, is, how many of you remember when you were younger, if you were sick, and I'm not picking on doctors. I don't know how you do what you do. If you happen to be a doctor or a PA or whatever you are in this room, listen, I, I, bless your heart. I don't, I don't know how you do what you do. But I remember, when, I remember my 20s. If you're sick, what do you do? You go to the doctor and they fix you. And then I found out they can't necessarily fix you. <laughs> you get in your 30s and 40s and you realize why they say practicing medicine, you know? You, you become the subject of the practice you feel. And it's nothing against them. They're trying to figure it out too. But what I'm trying to say is we become less naive thinking, well, life's a little more complex than we thought it was. All those things in the equation can create a negative, a cynical spirit. And let me just say this. If you're living with a negative, cynical spirit, you are discouraged. How many of you can identify with this? Sometimes you just got to turn the TV off. You got to turn the mess off because it just sinks you even lower. And, and, and I'm not saying being ignorant about, I mean, listen, this thing that happened in New York this past week, I'm appalled. I cannot believe we can abort babies now just before their due date, the day before their due date. And yet, you leave a, a dog out in the yard chained up more than a day, 
You can go to jail for that. I, listen, I'm not for torturing animals. I'm not about that. I'm just trying to make a point. And, and, and you do. You get so frustrated. And then you begin to realize, listen, here, here's where I came from. I began to realize that we live in a fallen world with a fallen structure, with fallen people trying to make decisions that are fallen. And then my expectation then begins, begins to think, what else do we expect? I mean, what else could we expect? That's just, you, you know, you say, boy, you've really gone cynical. No, I'm just lowering the expectation now because the world's operating one way, but what I can see God doing is where our, our, our perspective is and what God can do. It takes work not to be negative and cynical. Let me tell you, tell you this. Some of you who are over the age, over my I was 55 and older, who are not cynical and, and, and negative, you've become my new heroes. Because every year that goes by, I'm fighting it. I feel like I'm fighting it by the acre, not to become that way. And, and I'm telling you, it's tough. Looking at the progress of discouragement, we have fatigue, we have frustration, we have failure. Now we have fear. Fear can begin to set in. Listen, discouragement means deprived of courage. Look at Nehemiah chapter four, verse 11. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times for whatever place you turn, we're gonna be upon you. We're coming after you. This of course is a form of terrorism. The foundation of terrorism is fear, not knowing where the next attack's coming from. How many of you remember how helpless you felt on 9-11? Those of you who remember that real well. It felt hopeless. It felt helpless. It's like, what's going to happen next? It's like a, a form of security that was just ripped away from you. Ten times it was said that they would be upon it. The theme of their day, the theme of what was going on in their life was fear. When discouragement is full grown, it becomes fear to the point that it can paralyze us. Now, I want you to listen to this. External pressure, this is a good statement. This is one you want right now. External pressure amplifies internal weakness. Have you ever heard the statement, when you squeeze a lemon, what do you get? You get what's on the inside. When you squeeze a person, what do you get? You get what's on the inside. And you see, so many times we are so focused on painting up the outside and worried about the outside and worried about what we portray and worried about this that we forget to take care of what's on the inside, our integrity, who we are in Christ, understanding who he is, understanding who we are. We begin to lose perspective when that begins to happen. Listen, what is in us is revealed when things come upon us. Joseph of the Old Testament, do you remember his story? He fled when lust looked him directly in the eye. He fled. The only way he was able to do that, listen, the only way he was able to do that was because of what he invested on the inside. That was the only way he was able to run from that situation. How about King David rose to the occasion to defeat Goliath. Then he came, overcame the terror of King Saul. But then something happened in David. David is one of those characters in scripture where we see there's obviously some integrity within him. There's obviously something that he did to invest of, of what was in him. But something went wrong with David. 
And all of a sudden, lust looked him in the eye and he caved. You know the story. All of a sudden, everything changed. What changed? Listen, it's because he quit investing on what was on the inside. He quit investing in his integrity. He quit investing in what is right and what is wrong. External pressure can also amplify inner strength, which leads us to the next part of the story. And it's this, how do we live above discouragement? Look on your outline. First of all, cry out to God for perspective. Isn't it amazing how we lose perspective when we're discouraged? Have you, have you ever done it? Have you ever been so far? You went maybe to discouragement, to despair, that you just totally lost all practicality of what's going on? I've talked to people who have threatened to take their own life. Many of you probably know people who've threatened to do that. Um, when I was a younger man, I struggled with some of those thoughts myself. And, and I tell you, that's despair. And some of you know my testimony. One night in the midst of my discouragement, listen, I, I fit every one of the criteria. I was, I was fatigued. I was working night and day. I had a responsibility on me that, that most young people didn't have, but I kind of put myself in that situation. So I was dealing with the fatigue. I was dealing with the frustration. I felt like nothing was being accomplished. I, I was overwhelmed. Every indicator of what would drive a person to be discouraged was there to the point that my discouragement took on despair. And one night, one night, we're living in this tiny little apartment and, and something just happened in my life that I, I can't really explain, but it was most, one of the most, I'll never forget what happened that night. And some of you are like, eh, I'm not into stuff like that. Well, you, you can trust what I'm telling you. I left Tina, she was in the bedroom, she was in despair, I was in despair walked into the next room and something just kind of drove me to my knees. I have never in my life had the experience I had that night. And, and listen, I was headed out the door to do whatever. I didn't care anymore. It was just too much. Something drove me to my knees and I sat there by that little chair and God began to pour hope into my life. And I began to cry out. Started crying like a little baby. And God did something in my life that night that I tell you, it still is with me today. He gave me hope. He said, this is how this is going to play out. And he began to show me things. You know what he was really giving me? He was giving me perspective. And that's what happens when we lose, when we have discouragement and despair, we lose perspective. And the only way we get true perspective is to cry out to God. And that's where I was. I had nowhere else to turn. I, I, I mean, literally, I... Some people say, well, it sounds like you're having a nervous breakdown. Well, probably so, but thank God he interrupted it. You know, he interrupted it. And he began to do a work in my life. And that's where everything changed after that for me. And Nehemiah chapter four, verse nine, nevertheless, Nehemiah is leading them to where they need to go. That's the reason he was such a great leader. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God in our despair and our discouragement. We were overwhelmed. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. You know what God did to them? God evidently, when they cried out to him, God gave them a plan. You know that night I cried out to God, God gave me a plan. He told me exactly what my wife was gonna do with her education. He, he didn't let me in on the whole story of me. He didn't tell me that night I was going into the ministry because I wouldn't have believed that part. 
part of it. But anyway, he began to grow me to that point where I was one that was ready to go into the ministry of what he's called me to do. But all that. So what happened was God gave them the next step. Verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There's much rubbish. We can't build the wall. They were still crying out in their discouragement. Yet God was telling them what they needed to do. But here's what's great about it. They did carry it to God first. You see, when you're in the place of fear and discouragement, here's what you got to do. This is the key to overcoming it. Here it is. When you're in a place of fear and discouragement, you need a reality check on your perspective. How many of you, lo- how many of you know what it's like to lose perspective? Please tell me you do. Because if you don't, bless your heart, you're way out there, okay? You just lose perspective. So anyone who is feeling discouraged will have his or her views of things colored or skewed by their emotions. Show of hands. How many of you in your life, your emotions have let you down and led you astray? Raise your hand. Can they be trusted? Absolutely not. But it is amazing the damage people do when emotion takes them over and they begin to act in that emotion. They lose total perspective. Many of them lose total respect. Many of them begin to create more distraction in their life than they could ever imagine. And it really does become despair after that. But what happens? You gotta gotta have a reality check. Listen to this. Let facts shape your feelings rather than letting your feelings distort the facts. Here's here's what we feel. I'm a failure. Everyone's against me. Everybody hates me. Does anyone even care? Am I the only one who cares? Am I in this by myself? You ever been there? Would you say a perspective check needs to come in? (laughs) I've got to hurry. Why does it always have to hurry? 1 Kings chapter 19 Elijah, I love this man. I've learned a lot about myself from Elijah, okay? He was a great man. He outlived anything I was ever capable of doing. But when he got down, I could relate to him getting down. You know what I mean? Here's what he says. I tell you what, I'm going to finish this next week. We need to close with this. I don't know where you are right now. I really don't. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what's breeding discouragement in your life, what kind of seed you put down. But I'm here to tell you, I can identify where, where you are. But let me tell you one who can really identify where you are. Jesus himself. Did you know discouragement is not a sin? It's not a sin in and of itself. When we visit Jesus the night before the crucifixion, do you remember where he was? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what I read with, with the account that was going on there? He was discouraged. He was discouraged. Lord, if there's any other way we can pull this off, let's try that. God, I don't know. I, I mean, it was all kinds of things going on there. And then eventually, what do you say? Okay, God, not, not, not my will, but your will. Not, not what I'm thinking here, but what you want. And when that began to happen, everything changed. Now, did his life get easy? No, he still went to a cross, right? But you know something? He came out on the other side, and we read the verse a while ago. The Bible says when he went to heaven, you know what he did? He sat down. He finished the job in the midst of his discouragement, in the midst of everything that was placed on him. Some of you may say, well, what caused discouragement in his life? Part of it was what we did to him. Did you know that? It's what we did to him. 
We were the one putting him on the cross. You know what? He wasn't scared of death. He wasn't scared of what the Romans could do to him. He wasn't scared about the cross. He knew the weight of the world of sin was going to be placed on him. There's where the discouragement was. He, he was pure. He was undefiled, yet all of it would be placed on him. And then it gets worse. The wrath of God would then be poured on him. Once the sin was poured on him, the wrath would come. Some of you are sitting here today and you're like, boy, what? my discouragement's not that big of a deal anymore. No, listen, it's real to you. And all you got to do is cry out. Cry out. Just say, God, I, I don't know how I wound up here. And maybe you don't know. Maybe you're just there and you're, I, I don't know what's going on. Cry out. See what happens. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me and bow your heads. Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I don't know what's going on in this room. I know you do. And Father, we just lift everything up to you. I lift every heart up to you this morning. It may be in this room. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know what they're faced with. But Father, I sense you've done a, a work here in people's lives. And Father, I just pray you'll continue to work as only you can, Lord, into, the li into our lives. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today be the day they give the heart to you. And Father, I just pray, Lord, most of all, if someone here today needs to be encouraged, maybe they are crying out. Maybe, maybe they want someone to pray with them or for them. I pray you'll draw them. Father, we thank you for what you're capable of doing and what you desire to do during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us? I don't know what your need is. Myself and Gary will be here at the front.